so so uh disembodied voice guy do you have any idea where pete is uh well about that uh do you remember how my wife visited us on the last episode uh yes well remember how we talked about you know cursing your family for a thousand generations and generally making your lives a living hell uh yes what did you do well uh i kind of talked my wife down from that a little bit um you see i still have to get paid but she really wanted a little vengeance for your rudeness whoa whoa we weren't trying to be rude we were trying to just get the show on the road here and you guys well it doesn't matter either way i like you better and honestly um Pete's going to be out of commission for a while. Uh, how long a while? Eh, it varies. Uh, either way, I wouldn't go near him for a while if you want to stay healthy. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, so uh, are, are you going to host this show with me? Because uh, Sacred Cows is at least a two-person job, so... Well, about that, uh, I got something figured out. I lit up the Matt signal. Matt should be on his way and be here any time now. I'm Matt Man. <coughs> oh, sorry. Hey, uh, hey, Mike. Hey, disembodied voice guy. Yay, Matt! That's a great idea, disembodied voice guy. Yeah, the thing went off, so I came in. How's it going? Uh, I didn't know uh, you were a superhero. Oh, no, man. I just got a, a Matt cave and a Matt mobile, Matt wing. You know, just the, the usual stuff. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, Welcome to Sacred Cows Podcast with Matt and Mike. Eminem. In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media, mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for vengeance. A looming threat. What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices. Choose incorrectly, and I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good or bad? Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely? A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over. Cows. Uh, one podcast dares to make sense of it all, so you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now welcome your hosts. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Matthew. Thanks, Thanks disembodied, disembodied voice guy. Hey, uh, Matthew. How did you become Matman? Well, as a child, my parents were brutally murdered in the back alley, and I swore vengeance against the disembodied voice that killed them. Uh, in, in a way, you made me what I am today. Whoa, 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 whoa. How do you know that I was the disembodied voice? I mean, there are lots of uh, um, voices without uh, faces in the world. Besides, you made me in a way. 
Your ancestors sealed away my father. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, Matt, I know you're lying. Your dad's still alive. Well, yeah, that's that's besides the point. I mean, my grandfather did seal his father. Don't, don't tell him. Oh, oh, oh. Bye, disembodied voice guy. Welcome to the Sacred Cows podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies that you might remember fondly or don't remember at all. Either way, we're going to talk about them. And today, we've got special guest, host, stepping in for Pete, who uh, is under the weather, probably due to disembodied voice guy's not-quite-so-vague curse, Matthew Morris. <laughs> Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you for stepping in at the last minute. I was surprised that uh, disembodied voice guy had installed a match signal on the roof, honestly. I mean, well, what else do you expect? I need to be here at... at a- drop of a hat even 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 in the the brightness of day well yeah it, it's good to have you uh you on again well thanks for having me it's always a pleasure to be here we were uh originally going to talk about some other movie that um pete had really wanted to discuss but then when pete uh got the itis thanks to disembodied voice guy uh matt and i decided that we wanted to change it up and start something a little different i don't know if i could have handled watching hot shots again the going with the airplane theme for the entirety of uh the second year of this show probably not a good thing we'd eventually just run into some garbage but that's the whole point of the show isn't it i mean find out what was sacred and what wasn't so if this is your first show um maybe you got Um, sucked in by the title. We are talking about the 1989 Tim Burton-helmed film Batman. And uh, we always talk about movies that are are 10 years or older and that one of the hosts or the guest has fondness for. And uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and tell them um, how we came to deciding that we were going to do this Batman movie. Well, I'm on travel, and I looked at movies I had on my iPad, and I just started naming them off, and I had Batman Mask of the Phantasm on, and I... I mentioned that to Mike, and then he said, Batman, that sounds good. I said, which one? And he said, Batman. I said, 1989? And he's like, yeah. I said, okay. So I downloaded that, and I watched it. Long story short, Matt's here, and he's going to do an awesome job. I just know it. Let's not get our hopes up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, we're going to start off by getting right into the history of the movie. So let's talk about the history of the 1989 Batman. It's directed by Tim Burton. It stars Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, Kim Basinger, and has some other wonderful actors such as Billy Dee Williams, Jack Palance, who you may remember from our City Slickers episode. Probably should also mention Michael Goh, because I think we're going to talk about him a bit. Oh, yes, you're right, you're right. I'm so sorry. (laughs) So basically... um, Uh, Burton was hired as the director for this movie in 1986 after the success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Now, I personally don't see how these things kind of go together other than um, Burton is definitely a visionary director, but uh, I think it was because of the unexpected success of that movie. So in the late 1970s, uh, the Batman film rights ended up going to uh, Warner Brothers. Originally, this whole film uh, pitch was supposed to be more like the campy 1960s uh, TV series, but then it ended up going more of a darker direction, 
uh, due to the comics coming out, The Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke. And then when uh, Burton had become attached, he was big fans of those comics. He, he hired his then-girlfriend Julie Hickson to write a 30-page film treatment, going away from the campy script and going more towards the, the darker uh, and more serious themes. Steve Englehart wrote a new treatment in 86. That included the Joker and Rupert Thorne, who is a main character in the, in the comics as a villain. Uh, along with a cameo by the Penguin. Um, there was supposed to be some some uh, cameo roles by, uh, like, a Dick Grayson and a Silver St. Cloud character, but um, that, that didn't end up becoming to fruition. Uh, eventually, we got uh, Sam Hamm to write a screenplay, uh, and then he decided to go away from an origin story, although... There's still a little bit of an origin story element to this, which we'll talk to that in the spoilers section. But he went more towards an established Batman. Uh, there's already, you know, a legend about this Batman going forward. You know, we got uh, Tim Burton kind of went away from it for a while and, and did Beetlejuice and things like that, which got him in touch with Michael Keaton. You know, the rest is sort of history with that. They were also courting uh, Jack Nicholson right away as the Joker, having uh, seen him in other, you know, varied uh, sort of, well, known for being uh, crazy roles. And uh, when they couldn't get him, they actually had cast Robin Williams as sort of the bait, which caused Jack Nicholson, who had originally said no, to come back. Yeah, and I think I think really what you what you touched on earlier with how this was kind of trying to go back to the the campy Batman. That, that was probably one of the big drivers for why they wanted Tim Burton, especially after Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And what he ended up doing was probably a lot better for his career um, as a filmmaker. And then, yeah, as far as diversity is concerned. Oh, yes, because this definitely has, uh, you know, uh, comedy elements, but it also is very serious. Yes, it was. It, it is intended to be a little more, well, not really a little, but it is driven more towards the, the actual comics, which I don't know if uh, there had ever been a serious comic book adaptation for a film up to this point. Maybe like the 30s era Superman? Um, I mean, obviously there was the uh, Richard Donner. Well, I guess I, I guess, <laughs> I guess guess the uh, the Superman movies from the 80s probably also. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean like the Christopher Reeves uh, Superman. Right, exactly. So, um, yeah, then they, they went about filming it, and of course then you get uh, uh, composer Danny Elfman... Um, who also uh, scored Pee-wee's Big Adventure in Beetlejuice, and uh, it all sort of comes together. I think we'll probably talk a little bit about it more, but we got a lot of very, especially with Danny Elfman, the iconic soundtrack that kind of followed Batman around for uh, the, the majority of the 90s and probably into the 2000s as well. Which was used uh, towards the Batman animated series theme song, actually. Warner Brothers got a lot of bang from their buck from uh, Danny Elfman in this one. We could probably talk about this uh, for quite a while, but I think it's it's good to to get into our own histories of this. So let's start with that. Uh, Matt, I've talked too much about the history of the movie, so why don't you tell <laughs> us first about your history with this film? Absolutely. So I certainly was a little young to see this movie in theaters. Uh, it's got a PG-13 rating, so... I, I definitely saw it on home video at some later point, um, although I do believe I saw it before uh, its sequel, Batman Returns, uh, came out. 
So I'm going to say I saw it, I guess then probably in like 90 or early 91. And I remember along with this, there was, um, as as there has been in a lot of the movies that have been discussed on Sacred Cows, a lot of merchandising. A lot. All kinds of stuff. You could get a Batmobile. You can get, you know, a Batman. I think this is the one where they had a, they had a Batman with a utility belt that also doubled as like a grappling hook. And, mm-hmm. um it, so I remember, I remember there being lots of toys. I remember there being a lot of the, I'll call it the iconic rubber mask, uh, Batman masks uh, going around for like Halloween. Yeah, a lot of costumes. So I, I remember it fondly as as a child, and you know, kids like comic books. So I think this was that was an ideal reason for them to come out with a lot of merchandising, even though the film was PG thirteen. Oh, yeah. And, and that continues today. I mean, you see all kinds of uh, superhero movies that are PG-13 that, well, uh, like Batman versus Superman, which is currently in theaters, uh, clearly not uh, geared towards children, but uh, children are certainly consuming and buying those toys. Oh, yeah. All the bat flick they can handle. So, Mike, what's your history with Batman? Batman. Well, um, I remember the first time I saw this was on HBO. I probably ended up seeing it in like 90, 1990 as well. I'm pretty sure you would get it on on HBO. I think before you would get it on VHS. So I remember um, watching it on HBO, and then you know, like you did in the in the 90s, uh, taping it off of HBO. And I remember that we won a cardboard life size um, Michael Keaton Batman standee from. That's awesome from uh, a local blockbuster video store that was uh, uh, promoting the upcoming uh, VHS release. Because, you know, of course, Blockbuster also got it uh, before you could actually purchase it, right? So what we did for Halloween, uh, my family was pretty, pretty good on the Halloween decoration side. And we had set uh, Batman uh, on, on the porch, and we had the speakers that were hooked to our v- VCR playing... <laughs> Uh, you know, pointed out outside um, uh, behind this standee. And so the kids would walk up and it was just on a continuous loop where it would just say, I'm Batman, you know? (laughs) And and the kids were like, cool. They had their little pictures taken with it and stuff like that. And I was, you know, I was like nine years old. So it was like like a feather in my cap, right? So... You, you you were the family with the cool decorations. Yes, exactly. And when you had a, a talking Batman, that they, they thought you know a uh, cardboard cutout that that was pretty cool. That cardboard cutout uh, eventually uh, it was in our basement till the early two thousands. In which after which case I think uh, it got wet when we had a little problems with water and now is destroyed. And and that's why you shouldn't put your bats in water. No, bats don't like water in general. The general gist I'm getting is that we both had a positive reaction to this movie as as children, right? Um, so that's uh, we'll see. We'll see if it stands up to our our childhood expectation. So let's go then uh, right into your most recent watching experience and uh, any sort of uh, reservations or preconceived notions that you brought in. Um, ooh, that's a good question. So I think I had high expectations going into seeing the movie. It is not necessarily highly critically acclaimed. Uh, I did look at the the Metacritic score, and it's hovering at a 69 right now. 
So not overwhelmingly positive, but certainly uh, more better than not than or more positive than uh, negative uh, response to the film. So I, I I didn't really go in. I, I went in with high expectations, but then after reading that, I was maybe like I thought I was a stupid kid or something growing up. Um, I watched it in my hotel room this morning, and uh, it had you know I wasn't I watched it one continuous. Uh, watching i didn't take any breaks or anything um just had it with a cup of coffee this morning and uh that's pretty much it on my i watch i should say i watch on my ipad not like on a big tv screen or anything and uh how about you mike i i actually saw uh batman versus superman last night and and then i was going to start watching this but i found out i have a dvd copy that really sucks apparently i didn't realize that when i bought it in the 2000s it looks like a VHS transfer, so when I actually tried to watch it on my Blu-ray player and upscale, it was uh, not good, like too dark to, to <laughs> see and like wobbly. You know, I was like, really, Warner Brothers? You couldn't have done better than this? Well, I ended so it up... it looked like Batman Begins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I ended up going to uh, Amazon Prime and uh, watching that that way instead, which was a much, much better experience, and it's the HD remaster, so... That was good. As far as my watching, I watched it over breakfast. Uh, same this morning as, as, as you. As far as any baggage I brought in, well, I guess I consider the uh, Dark Knight trilogy the definitive Batman. So it had been a long time, like uh, probably since the early 2000s, since I watched the uh, Burton Batman. I just thought it like it, this can't be as good this is gonna end up being like oh god this is so 80s or early 90s but then i had a little hope in my back of my brain because of how teenage mutant ninja turtles was done and i know when we talked about that on that episode uh, in, in year one um that this was sort of a, a good inspiration for the team that did that movie so i think i was just kind of like in the middle okay i'm, I'm curious though do you feel like any of the sequels to this particular uh, quadrilogy have tainted the reputation of the original? I almost feel like no. I, I, I think in my mind, I separated these two because they are clear, the first, this and, and Returns, because they're clearly one vision of Batman. Versus. Right. They have, well, they have the same director and the same Batman, at least. Right. Versus the. Um, the the Schumacher uh, Batman's who um, would you call feel it different from a each Joel other Schumachery? <laughs> yes, um, you're Schumacking me now. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I I don't think I I separated them in my mind. I know that they're technically uh, sequels as far as the canon of this version of Batman goes. But it doesn't feel like the same Gotham City to me. It's sillier. It's sillier. The other two. Why? Does is that how you felt? Oh no! I, I, I it's it's hard to think of all of the films together and say these are good movies when if you take them each individually, you come up with a bit of maybe a different response. Especially right. Because Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, let's face it, are not exactly the best, or even close to it. All right. So with that let's get into the spoilers all right so now is the time that you've all been waiting for where we're going to spoil the hell out of the 1989 batman movie so 
If you haven't watched it and you intend to watch it, now's the time where you pause the podcast, go watch it, and come back. Trust us, we'll wait for you. I, oh, I'm waiting. Okay, we're done waiting for you. So now we're going to okay, spoil okay. the hell out of the movie. <laughs> and uh, while, while there was a moo happening, uh, Matt so graciously agreed to do our traditional elevator pitch. So, Matt, give I, us the I elevator pitch. I offered to do it. I didn't just agree. I offered. Oh, well, All right. So the city of Gotham is rife with crime. However, there is hope. A masked vigilante known as Batman is going out of the nights and stopping crime. Maybe just petty crime, but crime nonetheless. Now, we also follow the story of one Jack Napier, a number two for a mob boss, somebody who gets his hands dirty, hands-on kind of fellow. However, he's also uh, dating the mob boss's girlfriend, so he gets double-crossed on on an operation, and Batman uh, interferes and accidentally dumps him into a vat of acid, uh, turning him into an evil villain known as the Joker. Now, parallel to this, we have one Bruce Wayne, a mysterious billionaire with an unknown past, who is courting a Vicky Valentine photographer, news reporter, uh, who Joker also has an eye for. Now, later in the film, we find out that not only is Bruce Wayne Batman, but that the Joker was the one who killed his parents. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Making him the man he is today. Uh, the Joker, a, 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 we'll call him an artist of sorts, uh, vows to get his revenge for uh, Batman dumping him in the acid and goes on a killing spree and attempts to commit mass murder in the streets of Gotham. But Batman, as in all superhero movies, as the good guy, thwarts him in the end and gets the girl yay good job that was a, maybe a little longer but yeah we'll call it the, the trailer pitch well to be fair a lot happens in this movie um so i do not fault you at all for going long i have to ask so when you when you were first watching the movie how, so you said it's been a while since you've seen it the opening scene of the movie did you think this was going to be the batman origin story yeah uh, it, it did i i think that was like uh, on purpose that burton did that but yes i was like wait a second the names that they're saying that isn't thomas wayne that isn't right. martha wayne that isn't little bruce but it's clearly little a Jim, parallel Jimmy wayne <laughs> what's that exactly yeah it was like jimmy or something and there was something there were, there was definitely a, a wrong feel to it with the, the the bumbling dad trying to get a cab in the city and it felt it felt wrong from the beginning, but it was sort of yeah, like you said, a parallel. Um, so I, I just I I just noticed that at the very beginning, and I was very glad that that was not the Batman origin story. Although we do get the "I Batman" uh, infamous line. Excuse me, right there. It's a situation where you see how scummy the the villainy of of Bat of, of Gotham is. Basically, just the petty uh, burglary and theft, and you know you get. Uh, Sort of the 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 one guy who's just like, eh, well, who cares? Uh, you know, if they if they didn't want to be robbed, they wouldn't have ran through this alley. And yeah. <laughs> and then the other one, I don't know, you shouldn't point a gun at a kid, you know, and like, ah. Uh, decent people don't live here. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I feel like Gotham City in in this that sort of sets the portrayal of Gotham City is that it's kind of kind of dumb. <laughs> 
but it's also a bad place to be. I don't know if Gotham was originally intended to be a kind of like a New York parallel, but there definitely is a feel that at New York at the time, or maybe even a few years before this, that's kind of the way the outside world portrayed the city. It's New York amplified to 11. Um, <laughs> you know, like this this church that was clearly built in like 1800 is like high, the highest building in the city, you know? Yeah. But yet you can look and there's ones that are higher, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So that was just kind of like the, the opening flavor, which I think I think it does a good job of setting the scene. Uh, for the movie. Now, how do you feel about the the general acting in the movie? Well, I think uh, some of the acting uh, is really good, and some of it is just like, um, I don't know, sort of phoned in? Yes. Yes, I feel like... uh, I feel like Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson are are doing their damn well best, especially Jack Nicholson. Um, oh, he it is it is clear that he loved playing this character. Oh yeah, he looks like he's having so much fun. And I mean, he's always got a smile on his face. Well, the part of that's makeup, but you can tell like under <laughs> underneath it, he's like really getting into it. Like he's smiling under the smile. Yeah. And I love uh, Michael Keaton's, you know, uh, uh, Bruce Wayne in this movie. I mean, uh, he's complex. He's trying to, uh, you know, uh, hide things. He's flawed, you know, uh, you know, skipping way forward into the movie when he's trying to tell mm-hmm. Vicki Vale, uh, like, hey, I'm Batman. But he's also trying to, like, break it to her gently, like, you know, because he has feelings for her. It, uh, it's kind of weird that he's trying to explain what, what a, a normal life is. And he's, he's coming up with these very broad generalizations because yeah. he's never had a normal life. <laughs> And and that's gonna that's kind of sort of where he was trying to go with it, and he's doing a bad job, basically saying that like, yeah, uh, you know, all these things that everybody else does. Yeah, I've never done any of that. I think it, it speaks a lot to his previous performances as, as a comedic actor, than jumping in this this dramatic, mostly dramatic role, that he's able to kind of pull off those moments, and it feels more real than if it had been taken way too seriously. <laughs> Oh right, and and I I think also uh, it, it shows the eccentricities of this version of Bruce Wayne, um, but they're not sort of real eccentricities. They're things another mask layer he puts on, like when they're talking at the party, and he's sort of hobnobbing with people, and then he ends up meeting Vicky Vale. You know, he's trying to appear sort of um, out of sorts, like he doesn't have mm-hmm. his shit together. <laughs> Unassuming. Yeah. Maybe that's yeah, what. I- it, it, I don't know. Maybe he's he's I don't know there's there he's he has that air of mystery and I feel like that's kind of he uses that to his advantage right. when he can. Right. And so then when he figures out that the people that he's dealing with in this case um Knox and and uh um Vicky Vale. Yeah. Vicky Vale, you know, are are sort of uh, uh looking at him at a different layer, you know, he sort of engages that and and such, but um, anyway, back to the back to the performances. Uh, yeah, I also I also really uh, thought that uh, Jack Palance, who's been on this show before uh, mm-hmm. as Curly in City Slickers, uh, did a great job as Carl Grissom. It's too bad that the character wasn't around very long, or he didn't have a lot of screen time. Because yeah, he did. It, it did add that that high living gangster kind of feel that the, that the Batman series has always had kind of at the top 
and yeah, he he isn't really around for very long. As are neither are the uh, the other mob bosses. No, that's that's true, and I, I think those mob bosses sort of uh, have that good feeling of, of of mob bosses as well. I felt like Carl Grissom was a real threat, but he was eliminated quite early. Yes. But it, it did open the door for the Joker character to kind of step in. So it, it was kind of that necessary event to happen. So what about the rest of the acting? I, I don't know if it was kind of how they were written or stuff, but there's a lot of other characters that people would recognize from the franchise that are kind of just there. Um, not so much not so much with uh, uh, Alfred, who I think was, you know, I think that was that was good. But like you have Commissioner Gordon who seems more bumbling or something. And it's odd because he's, he's Commissioner Gordon in all four of the, the original movies or in this series of films. But, like, in the beginning, he's, he's playing roulette, you know, or uh, playing craps, I mean, and gambling, and he doesn't really say much of value. And then you have the Billy D. Williams' Harvey Dent character who seems also kind of there you don't really know what his role is in the city i don't think they ever come out really and say that he's uh oh no no they do say he's the district attorney say, in the beginning yeah but but then you know his his role seems kind of ambiguous they didn't give him anything to do other than like uh him and commissioner gordon are just kind of like oh uh we better take care of this batman thing um we better take care of this joker thing uh <laughs> <laughs> Somebody figure out how to do that. Plot devices, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, it, it just, it just wasn't there. Although, I mean, Billy D was just like he's cool as he always is. I mean, it was like, it's like motherfucking Lando up there. But <laughs> <laughs> he's got a great voice, great air about him. But yeah, the, uh, I think I think part of that was just how they were used in the film. Uh, didn't really attribute much to the characters. Vicky Vale, there, there, she has her moments, but. A lot of the time, she seems like this either damsel in distress, like towards the end, or very out of place as well. So, like she, like her story is the how do how do we unmask Batman? Right, and there's only like one section of the movie where it feels like she's actually doing you know real investigative reporting. <laughs> yes, and it's like when she's following Bruce around, like why isn't he? going out with me right now we had a good date yeah what don't i have that this alleyway has right and so mysterious she basically relies on Knox to be the actual you know investigator of the pair even though i know she's a photographer but she's also supposed to be an investigator that's implied they're Mm -hmm. a team it's weird the so the what do you think of the Knox character i think he's a comic relief character yeah, he it's kind of that like creepy like oh they work together but he's like way over the top into her and she's either oblivious to it or using that to her advantage. Like oh, it seems t- like one of it's it seems kind of like a movie trope kind of character that is in there. Oh, totally. Totally. He's just just uh, annoying. <laughs> yes. I I find him uh you know hard to be around and why why nobody would want to answer his questions is like He's clearly he should be reporting for the National Enquirer. <laughs> I mean, what's where's Sasquatch? That's a, that you know that's the kind of reporting that he feels um, akin to. He's so, so you know, uh, 
I know, obviously, the, the point is that he, he wrote articles that are interesting enough that got Vicki Vale's attention, who came from, like, working for Time Life to mm-hmm. uh, working for this, for the Gotham, they didn't even say what the newspaper is. Uh, the, I think they say it's the Gotham Bugle or the Gotham Bugle. Reporter. Yes, you're right. The rep- Bugle or the Reporter. But to go they, from they do they do actually have a couple of you know the the spinning newspaper uh, scenes. Oh, you're right. But to go from you know Time Life, which at the time was super you know high profile, to the Gotham Bugle because of the Batman. I, I found yeah. it unbelievable that his like page eight stories about the Batman could get there. You know, if he had like, uh, you know, previously done a bunch of investigating of, I don't know, anything else that was like worth value right. and then started investigating the Batman, then maybe people would take him seriously. It's, it's kind of strange because like you asked it here, but even in the movie, Bruce Wayne asks the Vicky Vale characters, like, you were doing this, like, war photography. What brings you to Gotham? Right. <laughs> and she just blows him off. You're helping to, like, out the wrongs of the world. What are you doing here? I didn't particularly like uh, Detective Eckhart. Another, oh, that's just like, oh, yeah, we have uh, corrupt cops. Yep, got it. We have one corrupt cop. Apparently everybody else just listens to the... To the chief, but the one corrupt cop, you know. And his and his team that goes to, was it Axis Chemicals? And being not awfully far from, like, World War II, it was like, hmm, evil chemicals, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Although I think that that is the name of, like, a chemical company in the comics. Oh, I know. Because they oh, also yeah, had, right. like, the Monarch Theater in there as well. You're right, you're right. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I mean those those are sort of the mains. But yeah, I I, I feel like Basinger also sort of um, phones it in. I mean, honestly, she's I think she's meant to be like the humanizing factor for Bruce Wayne, but mm-hmm. I I feel like she's just kind of dragged around in the movie, not figuratively and literally. <laughs> Batman has always had problems with female characters or females in his life. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, writing of female characters might also be a problem in some of these Batman stories. Although Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns, meow. <laughs> yes, uh, well, that was rightly acclaimed as a strong female character performance. What, what's interesting in this movie that you don't have in the other Batman movies is that you have the villain, or well, specifically the Joker's origin story come in very early in the movie, and you don't have the hero's origin story come in until almost three quarters of the way through the movie. I think it's weird, but I think it's, um, you know, something that I kind of liked. I mean, I guess I, you don't need to know the or- Joker's origin story, which a lot of the comics and, of course, the Dark Knight show, you know, we never find out mm-hmm. really what those origin stories is. But in this one, it was kind of uh, interesting. I, I liked the idea that uh, this was a guy who was always on on the edge of crazy, but he sort of kept mm-hmm. his shit together, and then basically this accident happened and the botched surgery to fix him is what, you know, pushed him over that edge completely. And probably way too many chemical fumes. I can't imagine how bad the Joker smells in this movie. <laughs> uh. <laughs> his hair is growing green. His nails are purple. You know, the, his, his skin is permanently white after being in an acid bath. I just, I just imagine him, like, rolling into a room and, like, you know, these guys must have nose plugs in all the time or something, you know? <laughs> He probably he can't mask it. 
Right. <laughs> and, and they, 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 he doesn't know because he can't, you know, he doesn't have any, any, uh, nerves. nerves. <laughs> this is, this is kind of something I was, I was thinking about through most of the movie is you have the character of Bruce Wayne and you have the character of Batman. And if you didn't know that they were the same person going into this movie, and maybe if you were very aloof, they don't actually draw the parallel that Batman is Bruce Wayne until very far into the movie because they never show Bruce Wayne in the Batcave as it was. They show him watching TV monitors or you know camera feeds, but they don't really show him putting on the, uh, the mask and, the, uh, and getting in the car or um, walking through the Batcave or anything like that. Which I don't know if that I don't know if it was intentional like that where they kind of make it this discovery like there's really three characters you have the Joker, Batman, and then also Bruce Wayne as separate entities. Interesting. Um, that's a that's a good thing to think about. I think you're I think you're right there. I mean, obviously we we come to the same conclusion as Vicky Vale. You know, when they sort of pan out on him after watching the TV monitors that it is him, and you know we know because like. <laughs> we everybody saw the poster, but <laughs> yeah, Michael Keaton is Batman. <laughs> yeah, it says that. Shocking. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There wasn't really um, much character to Batman in this. I he was more of a, a force, I think. I don't know if this is unique specifically to this film or not, but he was an absolute punching bag in this movie. Oh right, he took a lot of hits. <laughs> He yeah, and he fell and laid down on the ground for a while and like you could say oh well that's part of his calculating nature he knew those other things were going to happen that would you know make him able to escape or whatever but it it seemed very uncharacteristic of the Batman to to have him take as many hits as he did and make as many errors in his fighting style as he did yeah it seems to be the least trained version of Batman. Except for the one fight with the guy with the swords, you don't really get that he's actually a martial arts master and, you know, that his body is at peak condition and and things like that. And I think part of that is attributed as well to the costume because it looks very bulky and hard to move in, especially with the the head piece where the neck, the chest, and the, the, uh, the whole cowl are fused into one piece. Which they, you know, don't address until... Well, the Dark Knight, which isn't even part of the same Batman series. You know, how many times does he just get shot and they're like, oh, body putty, you know? (laughs) Yeah, he's never gotten shot in the face before, which is fine. Everybody just shoots him in the chest. Center of mass. Even even as Bruce Wayne, he can't get shot in the face. (laughs) Right. No. He knew the Joker would just shoot him in the the chest because that's where you shoot. The other weird thing about this Batman is, and I think we talked about it a little bit in our pre-show, was that... He is willing to kill. Absolutely. I was going to say, that's a huge thing with the fan community. As, as much as he's willing to do, he will not kill, because that's not justice. But he he bombs a chemical plant with a bunch of goons working in there. He drops people off buildings. Uh, he flies a jet through downtown, firing rockets and machine guns, like right. legitimately he- trying to kill the Joker. He picks up guys that are attached to balloons and they they fall down as he's like taking these balloons away, you know. Oh God! Uh, how 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 hard would it have been just to cut the cables on those balloons? Just saying, you know. 
<laughs> if you, well, if you had, had a no-kill policy, first. right? <laughs> so it was. It's it's very uncharacteristic of Batman for that for that specific uh, attribute. You get this in the rest of that of that series too. Although I think in Returns, at least I don't know about the other two. It's been such a long time. Um, but then when you get to you know the the Dark Knight series, you know the Christopher Nolan Batman's, you get the mm-hmm. the the there's the rule, no killing, you know, or else I'm not better than them, you know. Yeah. Some of the the kills are accidental and things like that, and then you know now with uh, um, you know Batman versus Superman, a big complaint about that is that um, uh, we're back to more of a Burton style where like, well, he doesn't deliberately kill this guy, but uh, collateral damage, haha. Uh-huh. I, I shot that card. Those guys happened to be in, and it blew up, but uh, I didn't kill him, right? <laughs> Plausible deniability. I felt like this Batman also didn't have a lot of the um, stealthy elements of other incarnations of Batman. Not that, at all. No. He just kind of walks in and people are like, oh, God, it's Batman, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah. He He's always, well, he dri- drives through downtown in his car, gets out on a public street. It's certainly different. And I, I think this is actually... This version of, or that that kind of lack of stealth continues throughout this film series. And it gets worse and worse. I mean, uh, people are just like, oh, there's the Batman. And I, you know, I know that the end of this movie, they established like, hey, the bat signal, boom. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it's weird, especially in some situations where you're like, okay, the very end of the movie, when you've got the fight going on inside of the church bell tower, first of all, where did all those Joker henchmen come up? Because they didn't walk up there with the Joker. And second of all, why isn't Batman like hiding and stalking around in the rafters and stuff like that when he clearly has the equipment to do so? You see that in the other <laughs> the parts of the movie. Smoke um, bomb and all that. Yeah. Uh, but he's not like stalking around and like, you know, doing silent takedowns on these guys to get the Joker. He's just sort of like, I guess I'll wait for these guys to attack me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, they'll never come out if they can't see me. Right, right. Uh, you know, the whole master of the darkness thing is just gone. It's just gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we spend your, suspend your disbelief for a little bit. It's like, all right, it's Hollywood. And I think this might have been at a time where the audience would have not stood behind that. I mean, the mainstream audience would not have. No, I don't think uh, I don't think mainstream audiences in this time would be able to sort of uh, grasp that concept. I mean, the kinds of contemporary movies at the time, you know, were all like the the lone action hero or the small team of action heroes. You know, uh, you know, getting Against rid of the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The whole squad, save them. You know. Uh, but so th- this may have been sort of like. Uh, Burton's sort of compromise to get into that to make a movie that's palatable to the general public and still dark it, and it, still it could somewhat have been complex, that or a lack of his understanding of the source knowledge. Because it could seems be that. like it seems like a lot of what I saw was that he was not he nor Jack Nicholson or or nor Michael Keaton were familiar with the actual franchise until Warner Brothers came up and said, "Hey, we want you for this." And uh, they presented, I think, I think Tim Burton, they gave the first 10 issues of the original Detective Comics run with Batman. And with, uh, I think, in Michael Keaton, they gave uh, the killing joke for Batman. 
No, that that sort of uh, that sort of makes sense, I guess. Then with uh, with how it ended up turning out, because the the movie ended up being sort of like the killing joke, but then there was a lot of nods back to original ancient Batman's to the point mm-hmm. there. There's a cameo a drawing by Bob Kane uh, in the movie. Yes, yeah, Bob Kane was supposed to make a cameo in it, but he he got ill, so that was sort of another one of the compromises. All of these things aside. It really was the most probably faithful version of Batman to that point. Absolutely. And the the jump from your 60s style Batman to now or to then, 1989, was staggering. Um, and I think it really started setting a precedence, unfortunately for its sequels, but it set a precedence for what you could do with these comic franchises. And I'm sure after this, there was a big bid from the studios to buy up a lot of franchises uh, from the comics, especially because of the commercial success. Right. Yep. After the the Superman four was a commercial failure. Uh, yeah. This was sort of like no, no. This was this. You can do a good comic book story into a movie. You just have to do it right, or right yeah. for what was at the time right. So domestically, this movie made two hundred and fifty million dollars. And internationally made uh, $410 million. Right. And up until... In 1989 money. (laughs) Right. That's a a ton of money. The highest paid actor on this movie ended up being Jack Nicholson because he had um, a a percentage of the gross. And he ended up scoring a cool $60 million on box office receipts, which was the highest paid um, acting role until 2003. For somebody that had a had a, a percentage deal. Oh yeah, and I'm I'm sure he would have loved to have been in Dark Knight with a similar uh, similar deal cut out for him. I feel like he just he definitely earned it. People say that this this performance of the Joker is 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 really good, and I I agree. It's you know definitely a defining one. So I I'd say there there are I would argue there are I guess maybe Jared Leto we'll see, but there are four real depictions of the Joker dating back from the 60s with, I'm going to forget it already, I already forgot it again, Cesar Romero Bing. Uh, in the in the Adam West. You got Jack Nicholson in 1989. You have yep. Mark Hamill as the voice of the Joker for 25 years. Yes. Maybe more, I guess more now. And then you also have Heath Ledger as the Dark Knight Joker. And as I said, we'll see how Jared Leto does in Suicide Squad. But... They have been very iconic and each unique in their own special way. Yeah, this Joker was definitely uh, definitely the more just like uh, insane, but came from the whole uh, crime boss background, you know. So he's got right. all, all of his thugs and things like that. Um, but you also, you don't know what to expect from him. Yeah, he's he, he is legitimately crazy. You know your your Mark Hamill Joker because it is animated is is definitely more madcap, but he's uh, I feel like he's trying to be scarier and succeeding in in some ways. And the Cesar Romero, of course, is just like camp, campy, camp, camp, yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course, the Heath Ledger Joker, um, you know, without uh, talking about that too much, is is sort of a. Smarter than everybody else in the room, and smarter and crazier. I, I don't feel like uh, 
the Jack Napier uh, Joker that uh, was portrayed by Nicholson is necessarily smarter than everybody else. Uh, uh, he just had a good structure behind him of people. And he definitely had the drive and the means to right. accomplish his goals. Right. He he just took over a, a well-oiled crime empire from a ton of crime bosses and the big crime boss. So yeah, there's, of course, uh, a well-known soundtrack for this movie by Prince. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Which, um, you know, the, the most well-known part of the movie that you have that in is the art museum scene where the Joker and his thugs are going around and messing with the art. and yeah. knocking over sculptures. They have Party Man as the song, and uh, it is a catchy little tune, but all of this soundtrack is weird. And if you remember, there's a, a music video, you can look it up, on the internet called The Bat Dance. That's weird. <laughs> is it, Wait, is that from this? That's from this. That's the Prince oh, song, God. yep. Okay. I'll, I'll have to take a look. I really did like this scene in particular. I think Prince was sort of the flavor of that year. Uh, for and So that kind of fits for this era. And I think, it, unfortunately, it's one of the things that dates the movie a little bit, especially that in the, the boom box. But um, <laughs> I really did like the uh, the, the boombox goof because that, then it comes back later when... Uh, uh, the Joker invades Vicky Vale's home. Right. It's it, there's always a boombox with the guy with the boombox. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, and I think the Joker has a lot of good quotes too in this movie. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Yes, people still use that. I was, you know, I, I thought they would maybe bring that one back for like the Dark Knight or something, but uh, you know, they they didn't. But no. <laughs> Uh, he does. Let's, what else? He has a quote from the Raven. Yep. Uh, something about your beat, your beat, in my heart or something. I don't remember. Right. Uh, and then he does the pen is mightier than the sword and stabs yes. the guy in the neck. Uh, you can call me Joker, and as you can see, I'm a lot happier. The world's full, first fully functioning homicidal artist. <laughs> oh, I, I see. You have a, a quote list. <laughs> no, I, I I wrote some down that I remember. Oh, he wants his face on the $1 bill. You must be joking. Do I look like I'm joking? (laughs) I think I smile on his face. A little song, a little dance, a little Batman's head on a lance. Yeah. Uh, Oh, the the other kind of, it's, it's, you can't really tell uh, with how it was shot, but all of the money that he's throwing into the crowd during the parade scene is actually money with his face on it. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a, it's a callback. Huh. They should have zoomed in at least once, but I guess maybe they did. Maybe they cut it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. It, well, it's it, it's just hard to tell just because it's so far out, zoomed out from, from all the money. I do like the scene at, uh, at uh, the Vicky Vale's apartment when uh, Bruce is there, you know, talking about knowing this guy named Jack. And at the end, you know, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> I, I, I love that. And he gets shot. But, I mean, it's that is classic michael keaton <laughs> yes <laughs> um wow. we're in vicky vale calls joker insane and he says i thought it was a pisces <laughs> but that's, that's you or batman you weigh a little more than 108 <laughs> i'm like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> that she's clearly trying to be like i don't weigh anything you know <laughs> and like mm-hmm. he's like uh yes there but, uh, there are definitely a lot of good one-liners in here 
And, right. And that's they went kind more of, serious, but they didn't kill the jokes. And I think, unfortunately, what ended up happening was with the franchise was that they they turned down the serious and turned up the jokes. So it lost a lot of that that gritty feel. It did become more colorful, which which in its own respect was actually kind of interesting in the later film or the the other films in this particular quadrilogy. Yeah, it, it, it just became too goofy. Well, and this filmed like a test run. I mean, you know, without going into uh, Batman Returns too much, I feel like this was a test run for Burton as director of the franchise with a mm. lot of probably studio intervention to keep a lot of the wilder elements out that you get with Returns um, that are... You know, it feels like a different Gotham than this, even though it's the same. Honestly, I'd have to go back and watch it because I don't think I've seen that since that was in theaters. Ah, all, all wow. I remember are are penguins with rocket uh, rockets on their back. Well, yeah, I think uh, that about covers it uh, for this. So, are, are you anything else, Matt? No, I I think I'm good. I mean. Outside, we we talked uh, a little bit about the the Prince soundtrack, but definitely that yeah. And, oh, I guess we did talk about Danny Elfman also being very good for uh, for the music. But I don't think I had anything else for this film. All right. Or, well, yeah, uh, yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, with that, then let's get to the verdict. All right. So now is the moment that you've all been waiting for. The moment where. We decide if this movie is sacred, bovinus sanctorum, or if it should be put out to pasture, bovinus excommunicado. Okay, so which one of us is going to go first on this? How about I go first, since you did did the recap. All right, so I am putting this movie as sacred, bovinus sanctorum. That's my vote, because... Though there's a lot of there's a lot of problems with the portrayal of Batman, I think this sort of is the alpha reboot of like superheroes in general. It sort of made it okay to make a superhero movie. Um, the performance by Jack Nicholson, he steals the show. Honestly, I really liked him a ton, and I think I liked Bruce Wayne almost more than Batman as a second place. But the rest of it is, you know, while it has its problems, it doesn't take away from the movie too much. So that's why I'm going with Sacred. What about you? All right. Well, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Bovinus Sanctorum. Uh, and I second everything you said. Something that can really be said about this particular film is they, while they stuck as pretty much close to the, uh, the source material as they could... It really demonstrated how how that story that has stood the test of time is what makes it successful, not you know playing off and changing a lot of things. And then additionally, absolutely with the with both Bruce Wayne as Mike, well, Mike, Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne and Jack Nicholson as the Joker did an excellent job, and you really could have cut out a lot of the other actors and almost had it just the two of them made it more of a detective story or something and it, it, that would have that would have been fantastic as well. I will I will say as we discussed there are definitely some issues with the movie and we didn't really talk about a lot of the effects which definitely don't don't hold up anymore but um I I think that this movie is sacred. 
All right, so that's a two out of two for Sacred. So it is Bovinus Sanctorum. <laughs> well, uh, we will be back in just a second with uh, our closing thoughts on this, as well as uh, what other movies are going to be coming up in the future. So oh stay tuned. Boy. Okay, so uh, that concludes our review of the 1989 Batman. Yay! So thanks again for joining us, Matt. That was it was good to have you. A pleasure as always, Mike. I think uh, if if you don't mind for a minute, I've got a couple things to wrap up the show, and then uh, we'll uh, you know do the contact information thing. Sounds good. I just want to let everybody know that the next episode that we have on the show is going to be The Shining with Veronica Lovecraft from the Cthulhu and Friends podcast. And oh boy. Uh, yeah. It's another great Jack Nicholson role where he plays a character named Jack. It's like we're on a Jack Nicholson run or something. We honestly haven't planned past that, but um, you know, now that we've started the sort of Batman train rolling, we do plan on coming back to it um, maybe maybe after The Shining, uh, maybe a couple after The Shining. Um, I think the way that we want to go with this is uh, sort of cover one Batman movie at a time with maybe a different guest. So uh, more to follow. So... Veronica will be on next time with The Shining. I can't wait to listen to it. <laughs> if you want to talk to us, uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Sacred Cows Pod. That's at Sacred Cows Pod. Uh, we love to interact with you guys. And we also have an email address, sacredcows at herooftheweb.com. That's sacredcows at heroofthewebcom And if you write to us there, those tend to be featured on our feedback episodes, which are, you know, Every several movies, when people sort of have comments or corrections or questions, uh, we basically do a feedback episode where we talk about things that people have emailed, tweeted, or whatever, um, you know, whatever you really want. So get in touch with us either on the Twitter or on the email. Um, as far as my Twitter, I'm on Twitter at White Morph. And Matt, where can they find you on Twitter and the rest of the internet? <laughs> You can find me at Matthew M. Morris on Twitter, uh, and I am a regular on Geekly Inc. Random Encounters. Awesome. And he, he plays a variety of characters, including a cat that looks very much like Batman, in <laughs> but doesn't act very much like Batman. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, go, go listen to Matt on Random Encounters. It's a fun, fun show with lots of different uh, kinds of role-playing games that... Uh, he gets to partake in and uh yeah and 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 tweet at him he will tweet back absolutely i love all of you so much <laughs> meow meow <laughs> all right well uh that is all from sacred cows hq on the 1989 batman i want to thank matt once again for pinch hitting for pete the sick and hopefully uh by the time we have to record our next episode with Veronica, he's better. Fingers crossed. All right. Thanks again, Matt. <laughs> Thanks again. Smell you later. All right. Goodbye, everybody.